Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. Silverdale Baptist Church. It is so good to see all of you here worshiping with us today. I'd like to welcome all of our Creekside service, those of you at our Bonnie Oaks campus, North Udawa, St. Elmo, and all of you worshiping online. I'm Tony Walliser, one of the pastors here at Silverdale, and I have the privilege each week of sharing with you God's Word. So that's what I encourage you to do. Go and take your Bibles, open up to the front of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1. You can turn to Matthew chapter 1. That's where you'll find our text today. And you can also take out these Bible study outlines that we provide for you. That way you can follow along and take notes as we study God's Word together. Last week we began a a Christmas series called Peace on Earth. Isn't that what we all want? We want peace. Crazy times, we want peace. And we sort of look at the Christmas season, okay, maybe it's going to bring peace. And we look at Christmas with these sentimental, joyful feelings. Okay, there's going to be family gatherings and maybe gift exchanges. There's going to be parties. And there's going to be these times whenever, you know what, you, you decorate, right? You, you have all the lights. You turn on the Christmas music, and it's supposed to bring you joy. And we think, okay, wait a minute. The Messiah came to give us peace, right? That, that makes sense. The Messiah came to bring us peace, so we want peace. And yet the reality is a lot of people, they look at the Christmas season as not a season of peace, but a season of stress, right? I mean, goodness gracious, you got to, you know, you got to, all these purchases that you got to buy and the financial pressure that is, or okay, you're going to gather with family and golly, you got that one relationship that's really out of sorts. And, and, you know, a lot of people, they come to the Christmas season, it's one of the loneliest and depressing seasons of the year for a lot of people. And we think that, okay, when we look at the scriptures and we see Mary and Joseph in the manger, we go, oh, it must have been peaceful. But no, actually, when you study the scriptures, you realize that what Mary and Joseph encountered and experienced were some of the most stressful, difficult, chaotic times in the scriptures. And yet they experienced the peace and presence of God in those times. How? Because they responded the right way. And so must we. And so let's look at our text together. It's found in Matthew chapter 1, beginning verse 18. Look at what the Bible says. The birth of Jesus came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Verse 23, see, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. 
When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him, and he married her, but he did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Let's pray together. Gracious Lord, we need you to give us insight today to take these verses written thousands of years ago and apply them to our lives. Holy Spirit, speak. We're listening. We will obey. Bless this time, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, Christmas time is coming, but I'm not happy. That is exactly what Charlie Brown said to Linus. I mean, how many of you have seen the Charlie Brown Christmas, right? I mean, we all have, right? And it starts off, I mean, here's Charlie Brown. He knows he's supposed to be happy. It's Christmas time. I mean, he's not a, you know, he's not a, you know, Scrooge. He's not the Grinch. He likes Christmas, but he knows something's missing in his Christmas. It's Christmas time. I should be happy. The movie starts with the kids out of school and they're ice skating, right? And they're just, you know, having this fun time. And behind, you hear this music, these children singing. Christmas time is here. Happiness and cheer. Fun for all the children call their favorite time of year. And everybody's happy except for Charlie Brown. Christmas is coming and I'm not happy. Well, that is the emotion and the context of Matthew chapter 1. That is how Joseph feels. Christmas is coming and I'm not happy. Now, let me set this up for you. We do not know biblically the details of how Mary and Joseph met and came together, right? So let me use my, you know, sanctified imagination and let me just try to put it into today's terms, okay? So Mary, she goes to youth group on Wednesday night, right? Goes to the synagogue, and she's a good godly girl, and she's there, and, and have a new youth leader there that's leading the Bible study that night. Joey, trekking with me? And Joey, he's, he's talking about, you know, the, the coming of the Messiah from the prophet Isaiah, and um, she's trying to concentrate on the Bible study, but Joey is so cute. And so after the, um, the Bible study, you know, Joey comes over to her and her friends and they start talking and, and she's like, oh my goodness, I think he likes me, but it can't be. I'm, I'm several years younger than he is. And then she finds out about a little bit about Joseph and, and you know, he's got, he's got a job. He, he builds furniture for a living. She goes, oh my goodness, I mean, the last boy that I liked, he was still living at home with his parents and was unemployed. This is awesome, right? And so finally, you know, during this conversation, Joey gets up the nerve to, to say, hey, um, hey, how about us having coffee? And she's like, is this like coffee friend coffee or coffee coffee, you know? And, and so, you know, they meet the next week at um, the Nazareth coffee shop and, and they're sitting there and they're talking and, you know, they're really having a great time. And one thing leads to another. They see each other again and again. Eventually he meets her folks and she meets his folks and the folks like each other and they start talking about a bride price. And, and you know, you know, She's one day, she's just at home listening to the radio and all the, all the love songs suddenly make sense to her. And little does she know that Joey, he's been saving up his furniture money to buy her a big ring. And then finally one day it happens, you know, he takes her on a walk and they go across the bridge and the sun is setting and he, he's got his, um, his friend, you know, with a long lens camera for that Instagram moment. And he gets down on his knees and um, says, marry me. And she says, yes, yes. She squeals and hugs him and they embrace. And of course I will. And they go home and tells her parents, right? And her mom immediately starts planning the wedding and driving everybody crazy, right? Now, I don't know if that all that happened, right? But one thing I do know is that 
we understand marriage, we understand love, right? There, there's some of those emotions that are going on. And just like any relationship, what do they start doing? They, they start planning. Well, we don't know all that they plan, but Mary and Joseph, they start planning. They, they obviously, part of their plan was they're going to remain sexually pure until, you know, the, the wedding night. And they, they were probably planning, okay, where are we going to live? And are we going to buy a house? And, okay, we, we want to be debt-free. We maybe need to go through Financial Peace University or, or, or you know, or, you know or how many kids we're going to have. And then what we learned last week is that the Lord shows up. God sends an angel to Mary, and the angel announces to Mary, Mary, God has chosen you to give birth to the Messiah, and she goes, well, well, that can't happen. Joseph and I, were engaged, but we're, we, we're not intimate. And the angel said, no, no, it's not gonna be through Joseph. The Holy Spirit's gonna come upon you. And Mary's like, I don't fully understand this, but let it be to me according to your word. And so the angel departs and Holy Spirit descends and Mary's pregnant. And Mary's like, she loves the Lord. She loves Joey, right? And she's like, I got to tell Joseph. And he's going to be beside himself. Oh my goodness, that God has chosen us to be the parents of the Messiah. Let's take a quick poll. How many of you think that whenever Mary came and made this announcement to Joseph, that he was just all excited? How many of you think that he was freaking out? He's freaking out. That's the context of Matthew chapter one. He is freaking out. Why? His life flashes before him. This marriage is basically done. The future that he's dreamed about has become a nightmare. His reputation is gonna be forever tarnished. Christmas time is coming, but like Charlie Brown, Joseph is not happy. He's not happy. So what do you do whenever circumstances do not make sense? How do you find peace on earth in those times? Well, you do what Joseph did. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. Let's look again at our passage in Matthew chapter one, verse 18. The Bible says this, The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way after his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph. That's the Jewish betrothal. It was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. Now, Matthew words that perfectly. We read it today and it seems a little confusing. You go, okay, verse 18, it says they're engaged. Verse 19, Joseph is called her husband and the only way to dissolve this thing is through divorce. And so what are they? Are they married or are they engaged? Yes. See, that's the essence of the Jewish betrothal. Several weeks back, I shared this with you during our hidden series. That basically what you have here is that you have the families come together and they agree on a bride price that is paid there is vows that they make to each other, the promises, they, the culture, the society looks at them as though they are married, okay? And that betrothal period lasts about one year, but they do not come together yet. They remain separated and, and pure, waiting for the wedding night. And then the wedding itself is like a week long, and a part of that is the consummation of the marriage. And so the Bible is very clear, making us understand exactly when this happened. It happened during the one-year betrothal period of time that she is pregnant. So what does that mean? That means that this baby is not Joseph's and he knows it. He knows it. This is not my child. I dreamed of this woman, now she's a nightmare. And he's doubting. He thought that she was a godly woman, but now he's doubting her integrity and her word. I mean, she says that she's, you know, pregnant by the Holy Spirit, but who's ever heard of such a line as that? And so he's thinking, how can I break off this engagement? Several years back, there was a young lady who wrote Dear Abby. She wrote this. She said, Dear Abby, 
I've been going with this man for quite some time, but just before the wedding, I discover that he has a wooden leg. Do you think I should break it off? <laughs> no. Well, that's where, here's, here's Joseph, and he's like, how do I break off this sweating, right? I mean, this is, um, she's carrying a child that's not mine. Verse 19, look at it. Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. Now, that expression, Joseph being a just or righteous man, that is a very technical expression. It means he strictly obeys the Torah, the law. The law says it, he obeys it. And so at the top of your outline there, I really give you the four options that Joseph has. Joseph's got four options in how he's going to deal with Mary in this difficult situation. I mean, he's a strict follower of the Torah, the law. And so the first option, obviously, is follow the law and stone her. This child is not yours. She's obviously committed adultery. That is one of the things that you can do with an adulterer is stone them. Look at Deuteronomy 22, 21. She should be brought to the door of her father's house, and there the men of the town shall stone her to death. Now, Joseph has all his life strictly obeyed the Torah, the law, but he can't bring himself to get a mob of men to go to Mary's house and have her stoned. He, he just can't do that. Well, the Bible also gives you another option, and that is divorce. And divorce can be public or it can be private. Well, if you choose the public divorce, what is that? Well, jot this on your outline. It's justice. I demand justice. I'm going to have a public divorce. And I am sure, I am sure that all of, um, you know, all of his friends were saying that's what you need to do. I mean, obviously, you know what you need to do? You have a public trial. You need to drag her through the mud. That way everybody knows that she's the, the one who's done this and you are a righteous man. But Joseph obviously loved Mary because he lets go of his need for justice. And what does he do? He gives Mary grace. Jot that down. He gives her grace. That's going to be a private divorce. Look at it. It's found in verse 19. Not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. Now, I know that divorce is very common in our day and age today, but who would have thought that divorce is a part of the Christmas story? It was. I mean, think about it. Those little, you know, Characters that we put together on the nativity set. You know, what, what, just a few months earlier, what's going on? They're talking about divorce. I don't ever see you or talk to you again. We're divorcing one another. You need to remember, these are not stained glass characters. This is the real world. This is what they're going through. And so here's Joseph, who's, okay, I'm not going to follow the law. I'm going to, you know, move beyond my justice. I'm going to give her grace. But then God's going to ask him to do something even beyond that. Number fourth option is this, jot this down. Respond in faith and take her as your wife. Respond in faith and take her as your wife. Now, this is not on anybody's radar. For Joseph to take Mary as his wife, he would in essence be saying, the child is mine. And then everyone would think, okay, uh, you know, <laughs> we thought you were a righteous man, but you don't have any self-control. We know now, right? And yet Joseph says, you know what? This is not gonna be easy. But if this is what God's commands, then that's what I'm gonna do. And so what does Joseph do? Joseph is in a situation that, look, it makes no sense. And yet he's going to experience the peace and presence of God. How? The very same way that you can. So jot down these two principles of how he did it. Number one, jot this down. First of all, you trust in God's word. You trust in God's word. Now we know that Joseph was a righteous man. He, he strictly obeyed the, the word. What does that mean? That means he believed this book. He, he, he obeyed this book. He didn't always understand it, but he believed it and obeyed it. God's word was the final authority. See, so many of us, we want to play God. 
What do we do? We go, we go you, know, you know what, God, I, I really don't like this. And so I'm not going to believe it or I'm not going to obey it because I don't like it. Or, or we play God this way. It's like, okay, God, whenever you answer all my questions and I got it all rationally figured out, then I will trust you. Can I tell you, you'll never trust God if that's the way you're going to operate. Joseph said, no, God said it, that settles it. Notice what it says in verse 20. Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Verse 22. Now, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. You see this whole virgin birth thing? This was prophesied 700 years in the prophecy of Isaiah said that the Messiah was going to be born from a virgin birth. In fact, the angel then quotes Isaiah 7:14. Look at it, verse 23. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which translated is God with us. This is just one of the over 100 plus prophecies that point to Jesus Christ as the Messiah. I mean, that's what's amazing about the Bible is the Bible predicts this is what the Messiah is going to come and do and be. And it's all predicted and Jesus fulfilled it. In fact, what I'd like to do is I just want to give you just a few of those that predict the coming of Jesus Christ. The very first one is found in actually in Genesis chapter three, verse 15. This is after Adam and Eve sinned and fell, right? God gives this curse to Satan. Look at what he says. God says, I will make you, Satan, and your brood enemies of the woman and all her children. That's why Satan hates you, folks. The woman's child will stomp your head and you will strike his heel. Satan's going to bruise the Messiah, but, he's the, but the Messiah is going to crush Satan's head. Thank you, Jesus. That was all predicted in the book of Genesis. And so what is that saying? That's saying the Messiah is going to be human, right? But then we find out the Messiah is going to come, the blessing of the Messiah is going to come from Abraham. Look at it, Genesis twenty two eighteen, And all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring. That means the Messiah is going to be Jewish, okay? But not only that, it narrows even more. The Messiah is going to come from the tribe of Judah. Look at Genesis forty nine ten. The scepter will not depart from Judah or the staff from between his feet until he, whose right it is, comes and the obedience of the peoples belongs to him. So, okay, so the Messiah is going to come from the tribe of Judah. But then God says, okay, I'm going to narrate it even more. The Messiah is going to come from the kingly line of David himself. Isaiah 7, I mean 9, 7 says this, his government and his peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. And we know that Mary and Joseph are descendants of King David. You have Matthew chapter 1, you have the genealogy of Joseph. Luke chapter 3, you have the genealogy of Mary. They both go back to King David. And then this past summer, we studied through, you know, the book of Daniel. And I took an entire message explaining to you Daniel chapter 9, where it predicts precisely that the Messiah would come in the first 30 years of the, of the first century AD. And you can find that, Daniel 9.25. No one understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah, the prince, will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So very few people are now able to fulfill this prophetic, you know, prediction. And then it even gets more precise. Okay, the Messiah is going to be born in the little itty-bitty town of Bethlehem. Micah 5.2, Bethlehem, you are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity and from eternity. And so very few people can be the Messiah based on the word of God. But then Isaiah says, oh, and by the way, 
He's going to come from a virgin birth. Well, okay. Nobody before, nobody since Jesus Christ has had a virgin birth. See, Jesus Christ fulfills all the prophecy. Jesus does. So you've heard me say this before. This is one of the primary reasons why I believe this is God's book. Because of fulfilled prophecy. There's no other book that has verifiable, fulfilled prophecy. No other book. The Quran doesn't. Book of Mormon doesn't. The, 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 the Veda writings of Hindu don't. You know, the book of, you know, Buddha doesn't. Confucius doesn't. The Bible alone has fulfilled prophecies. That's why you can trust it. And so what do you do? Whenever you go through a season like, you know, Joseph, when this makes no sense, what do you do? You get in the word just like he got in the word. And you sit down and you pray. You say, God, reveal to me, speak to me, give me a promise, give me a word. I got to hang on to something during this chaotic time. And guess what? God will. And you hang on to that and that, that promise of God will be like an anchor for your soul that will keep you steady during the storms of life. And so what do you do whenever, you know, what you're in a life and things don't make sense? You do what Joseph did. You, first of all, you trust God's word. Second thing you do is this, jot this down. You choose to obey immediately. You choose to obey immediate. Why? Because quick obedience is a smart way to live. Now, I don't know about you, but I've discovered through the years that it's harder to obey when you delay obedience, right? I mean, think of it like this. Let's just say that you say something unkind to somebody at work. You're a little snarky, a little cutting, right? And, you know, and everybody laughs, ha, 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 ha. And you go back to your desk and suddenly the Holy Spirit convicts you and goes, that was wrong. You need to go back and apologize. And you get up to go to apologize, and then you think, oh, I'm going to let him cool down for a day. I'll apologize tomorrow. Let me ask you, is it going to be easier to apologize tomorrow? Absolutely not. The longer you delay, the harder it is. That's the way it is. Joseph heard God's plan and immediately obeyed. Check it out. Look what it says, verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son and named him Jesus. We need to follow Joseph's example. Whenever he heard and understood the word of God, snap, I'm going to obey immediately. Now, can I tell you all his friends and family were saying, no, don't do this. Common sense was saying, this doesn't make any sense. All the self-defense mechanisms were kicking in going, do not do this. Convenience were saying, this is going to be hard. Pride was saying, this is not your child. And yet God said, do it. And so he did it. You see, you don't have to understand everything. All you got to do is say, God, I want to be obedient. And I want to do the next right thing. No matter what circumstance you're in, no matter how confusing things may be, you do know what is the next right thing for me to do. Do the next right thing. In fact, turn to the person next to you and just say, do the next right thing. Do that right now. Do the next right thing. Do the next right thing. And can I tell you, whenever you take that, that step of obedience and do the next right thing, here's the promise. Jot this on your outline. Your act of obedience can set in the motion the move of God. Your act of obedience can set in the motion the move of God. You just think about it. The Savior of the world came whenever two young people said yes to the Lord. And God said, okay, you're going to have a child. The Messiah is going to come through you. Now, what's amazing to me is that God didn't give them any more details, did he? He just said, okay, the Messiah is going to come through you. No details. I mean, how do you raise the Messiah? How do you discipline the Messiah? 
Do we spank him? Do we put him in timeout? Oh, he's perfect. Does he spank us? Does he put us in timeout? I don't know. I mean, what, what do you do? I mean, all I know is that they obeyed and it's set in the motion, the move of God. And that's encouraging to me because you obey God. You do the next right thing and it can set in the motion, the move of God. I mean, think about it. Maybe this week you're at work or you're with your family and God prompts you, hey, invite that person to a Christmas Eve service and you obey. And what happens? They, they come, they hear the gospel and they come to faith. And what happens? A life has changed. A marriage has changed. A family has changed. Generations are changed. Why? Because of your one act of obedience. You obey and it sets in motion the move of God. Well, that's Joseph. Joseph could have argued with God. He said, oh, my reputation is going to be bad. No. Do it. Now, did Joseph understand everything? Of course he didn't. There's going to be plenty of times that you're not going to fully understand. You're not going to understand God's plan. You're not going to understand God's purpose. But this is what you've got to hang on to. God does have a plan and God has a, does have a purpose. You may not understand it. It's okay if you don't understand it, but you've got to trust that God does have a plan and he does have a purpose. And so what was God's plan? To bring the Messiah, right? Look at it in verse 21. She will give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son and they will name him Emmanuel, which being translated is what? God with us. Can I tell you, that's what Christmas is all about. God with us. God stepped out of heaven in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus took on human flesh. What does that mean? That means that Jesus, you know what? He lived the perfect life that you and I could never live, but he also experienced all the same temptations and struggles and suffering that you and I experience, yet without sin. And on the cross, the Bible said that Jesus Christ literally bore all of your sins, all of your sorrow, all of your heartache, all of your burdens. He took it all on him on the cross. He experienced it all, but he didn't just stay dead. No, he rose again. Why? To give you life. Life now, eternal life, forever and forever, but ultimately so that God can give you a promise. What is that? That he's gonna be with you. Never will I leave you or forsake you. That Jesus Christ can be Emmanuel no matter what you're going through. You see, some of you right now, you're like Joseph. You're in a crisis that doesn't make sense. Maybe it's a marriage crisis. Maybe it's a financial crisis. Maybe it's a health crisis. Maybe it's a crisis of faith. I don't know, but I'm asking you. It may not make sense to you, but will you trust God? Will you get into his word and say, God, give me a promise that I can hang on to? And then what do you do? The next right thing. And if you will do the next right thing, your act of obedience will set in the motion the move of God. And even though you may not understand, you'll have peace. That's how to experience peace in those times that you don't understand. Be like Joseph. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a six-week sermon series called Jesus in the Midst. John chapter 13 and 14 record Jesus' final words to his disciples in the upper room. 
They are about to enter the darkest moment in history, and Jesus shares with them the essentials of what they need to walk through them. You know, the things they needed in the midst of their darkest hour are the same things we need in ours. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses or online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. Lastly, there are so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing at Silverdale. We really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on all our different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.